This Choircast podcast is brought to you by The Joy of Letting Go by Kevin Sweeney. When one of the great living mystics, Richard Rohr, writes, all great spirituality is somehow about letting go. Do we just skim by it and look for the next great quote? Or do we allow this truth to utterly change our relationship with God, humanity, and reality itself? And if we accept letting go as the key to transformation, the question becomes how? How is each life-altering step of the spiritual journey somehow about letting go? Well, my new book, The Joy of Letting Go, is the answer to that question. My dream is that everyone who reads this will open up to the possibility that to engage everything from the concrete to the cosmic and from the tiniest arguments with your partner to the biggest social tragedies of our time without losing our joy, we have to learn how to let go. I'm kind of just going along in my life and then suddenly like I hear this faint cry and realize like oh my god like there's this child buried down deep 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 inside of me. Um and once I kind of woke up to it and heard it like it like all my attention was focused on that lost child. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, sexuality, spiritual formation, how we got here, and how to move forward post-evangelicalism. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, activists, and writers in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. Welcome to Holy Heretics. Hi, everyone. It's Gary Allen back with another episode in Season 4 of Holy Heretics. And did you know that today is Giving Tuesday? I'm, I'm sure you have if you've been on Twitter or Insta or Facebook. It's that annual holiday where instead of buying and consuming, we pause and give back to causes and creators who are meaningful to us. So on this special day, I would be more than honored for you to make a gift to Holy Heretics to help cover the out-of-pocket cost that I incur on a monthly basis to produce the show. And I know that might sound selfish, but I am really hoping to find opportunities for our friends and our listeners to give back to the show in order for me to be able to sustain and maintain this space from a financial perspective. So feel free to make your Giving Tuesday gift to Holy Heretics by joining us either on Patreon or Substack by becoming a paid subscriber. And if you do, you'll gain access to every episode one week in advance. You'll gain access to our online class and premium articles and content that we are producing on a weekly basis. So simply join us uh, at holyheretics.substack.com or you can become a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash holy heretics. All right, so let's jump into this episode with Heather Hamilton, the author of Returning to Eden. And I must say that this is an esoteric conversation. It's a therapeutic conversation. And we're going to discuss awakening to trauma, finding your true self, and eventually overcoming 
your ego or your false self. And, and some of those terms might be new to you. But one of the questions that I would love for you to consider as you listen to this episode is this. Who are you at your core? Who is your true self, the, the part of you behind your mask and your ego and your defenses and all your posturing? Just who are you? Monk and mystic Thomas Merton once said, every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person or a false self. And if that is true, then how do you and I uncover our true selves, that glorious divine part of you that has always been there, but has maybe been buried for years under dogma or fear or shame or self-loathing? Now, to recognize when you are living from that false self and not your true self, you can simply start noticing all the times that you judge and compare and compete and set yourself up as different or apart. And this happens often because the false self is, first, it's dualistic by nature, and it's characterized by either-or thinking. And it's really designed to protect you. But until we recognize and make peace with and release this false self from the center stage in our lives, then we're going to struggle to love and find peace not only with yourself, but with everyone else. And that's why at some point in everyone's spiritual journey or spiritual maturation, your false self will need to die in order for your true self to be reborn. So how do we do that? It, it seems challenging. Well, we have to go inward in order not only to find ourselves, but also to find God and to awaken the true self that has always been there. And to help us with that, we are sitting down today with author Heather Hamilton to discuss this path of inward knowing. Heather first cultivated her storytelling skills through video production and editing. By listening to thousands of people share their stories, she learned to listen for authenticity and confront difficult realities. The collision of certain truths with her religious worldview led Heather on a search for clarity and understanding. She prioritizes truthful answers over personal comfort. She writes honestly about the power of love, fear, beauty, angst, and courage, and her background gives her a unique ability to pull up what is real from underneath the stories we tell ourselves about God and our lives. Heather lives in Atlanta, Georgia with her husband and three precious children. She sometimes forgets to do basic things like put conditioner in her hair while showering or start dinner on time because her mind is busy pondering how the universe works and why humans behave like they do. So, Heather, welcome to the show. I don't put conditioner in my hair either because <laughs> I'm bald. Um, but I'm really excited to talk to you today about your book, Returning to Eden. Thanks for having me on, Gary. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. So maybe a softball question to just kind of get us started. Um, can you share a little bit about your faith journey where did it start and where has it taken you? Yeah, well, my faith journey is probably um, up until a few years ago, like really very typical. I kind of write that in my book, like that I always sort of winced about it, um, you know, because in the evangelical church, you know, people would have like these really elaborate stories of how they converted to Christianity or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and mine just felt so boring. Like I was like, oh, I was seven years old at a vacation Bible school, which um, I'm from the South. So if you're not from the South, it's like, you know, parents send their kids to a week long, you know, 
Bible day camp, essentially. And, um, you know, most of the times at Vacation Bible School, it's like this build up all week until, you know, they try to get all the kids saved. Yep. So it was something like that, you know, um, where I was seven and um, there was something about heaven and hell. And do you want to accept Jesus? And, you know, I prayed that prayer like so sincerely um, and just really like said yes to following Jesus. And then, you know, from then on, it just felt like, well, this is these are my marching orders or my mission in life. Um, and so we moved around a little bit and every time we would move, like I was really the one um, in my family who was like, you know, I got to find my youth group and kind of dragging us to get into church. I didn't, maybe that is one thing that's a little bit different than a lot of stories I hear is I didn't feel like pressured into church by my family. Um, Mm. It was kind of my own agency of like, okay, we, we moved to this new place. Now I got to go find my youth group. And, you know, then I would kind of lobby for my family to go where I wanted to go and, you know, all of that. So, um, that's kind of how I grew up, like just on a very like straight and narrow path. And then, um, coming out of college and starting my career, um, I was very involved at a large mega church um, where I lived. And then I met my husband there and he is a musician. And so he was like on the music staff um, at this church, like rocking and rolling. And we had our three kids and our whole like community and worldview was just very like grounded in that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my background, like pretty. I think it's pretty. standard for like probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast. Um, And then um, do you want me to go ahead and like get into the shift? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you went from kind of normative evangelical Christianity, it sounds like, like I think most of us in the ex-evangelical community. And what was that tipping point or that enlightenment or awakening that was like, oh, yeah, Yeah. I'm going to move in a different direction. What what did that look like? So me and my husband kind of joke about this, that my tipping point was like, if you think about like um, standing on the edge of a cliff and just like throwing a watermelon off the cliff, like that was like me, like it was so fast and dramatic. Um, And, you know, my husband is more like a leaf or something, you know, that's like slowly gliding without um, the whole house (laughs) being set on fire and falling (laughs) apart. Um, And so that's been kind of a funny metaphor that we used in our marriage because me being, you know, splattered around at the bottom of the cliff, looking up at him, trying to get him to come faster, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, we've, we've kind of really like been graceful with each other in like both of our ways of, of being on the same page or not being on the same page, but like kind of trying to lean in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so, um, you know, what I just said about, you know, kind of having a normative evangelical experience and being really involved um, in the church and that kind of being like the the center of our world and um, where all of our energy was going to. And then when I was 32, like right after I had had our third child, I basically had some really major revelations about Um, some things in my personal life and my personal history. Um, And essentially it was 
sort of this influx of um, traumatic memory that I had never mm. dealt with or like integrated. Uh, I had never even like acknowledged it. I didn't even know what trauma was at all. Mm. Um, and essentially it sort of felt like this divine illumination that just sort of dropped into my consciousness. Um, but I essentially recognized that I had um, a lot of trauma um, that was affecting me and that I, you know, needed to deal with. And it, and that realization, like dropping in so fast and so intensely, like knocked me into a state of like active PTSD mm. um, where, you know, I had never really like dealt with um, massive panic attacks or, or whatever. Like I didn't have a history of that. I had maybe had, I had like one um, a few years before and, and that was it. And suddenly like my nervous system was just so dysregulated um, that over a course of a few days, I really just spiraled out of like control. And I had, again, like I had just had a baby. And so mm. I was, um, I was really not okay. And I was also terrified that like, if I asked for help that, you know, I was going to be like taken to a psychiatric facility and separated from my kid. And so that just felt like a hard no, like that can't happen. Um, so, um, yeah, I essentially just like descended into this really dark and terrifying, um, place and didn't really feel like I had, um, resource, like I did not know what to do at all because there was like no history of this, um, in my past. Mm. So, um, essentially what ended up happening was after the course of a few days, um, I had this moment in my basement where I was really just like crying and begging God to help me, you know, to like deliver me from this. Um, and for the first time in my life, I had this overwhelming sense of just nothingness, like whatever I was calling out to the God concept that I had in my head just didn't exist. Like it wasn't accurate. Um, and there was just this overwhelming sense of abandonment and alienation and like, nobody's coming to help you. <laughs> that was yeah. really kind of like the wall that I hit was like, nobody's coming mm. to fix this. Um, and so at that point, I just, I had this realization that like, if I don't get help, this isn't gonna end well. Um, and so, you know, I went upstairs and I, you know, I told my husband, like, I need help. And he called 911. And um, so when the paramedics showed up at our door, I opened the door and I start talking. And, you know, the woman standing across from me, when she starts speaking, I immediately recognize that this is a transgender woman standing on my porch. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we're in a very conservative area, very much an evangelical worldview. And I'm still, I'm still in that place. And in this moment, this kind of felt like an, uh, like metaphorically, like a, a good Samaritan thing where it's like this person that I didn't realize that I sort of had, you know, a preconceived notion or certain orientation in terms of trust and mistrust amount was the person that was helping me. And it was very like unexpected for me. So I'm kind of like in the moment, in the present moment, like kind of feeling my like fear and mistrust and everything. And also I sort of have like my, 
30,000 foot view of myself going like, oh, apparently like I, number one, like barely know how to ask for help. Number two, don't know how to receive help unless apparently it's from my in-group of trusted people. Um, And so I kind of just, you know, was confronted with like the dynamics of that, of me feeling like I'm supposed to be helping people like you. I'm supposed to be (laughs) the savior. You know, like I have the truth that I'm supposed to be bestowing on you and not the other way around. So anyways, all that to say is what else was I going to do? So I'm just, you know, word vomiting. And, you know, for the first time in that week, when this, as this woman was interacting with me, like I felt the presence of Christ coming off of her and just felt completely seen in like the most compassionate and precise way. Um, for the first time that week, it's not that the other people around me weren't trying to love me. They just couldn't really, um, grasp the scope of the situation. And so Mm. it was suddenly like this woman on my porch, this trans woman was like emanating Christ, like precisely, (laughs) um, in the way, the exact way that I needed. And so long story short, this, um, became a defining like moment for me in my life where, you know, not only like did it kind of rationally like shift my worldview, but this, I I later came to like call it a mystical experience where just my experience of the moment was like time falling away and just be feeling like completely held and immersed in this love and really feeling kind of at one with this person. Like I recognized Christ in her but I also felt like essentially like Christ wake up in me and it just, yeah, I just felt like this love in me, this love in her and kind of just, um, you know, contained in this bubble of love. I don't know exactly, um, how to explain it, but that, that was the essence of what happened. So from there, I actually did not go with them, um, to the hospital. She like, very compassionately advised me that like, this was more, you know, this was something internal. This was like a psychological, emotional issue that I needed to go see a therapist. Um, So I was able to like get the actual help that I needed. And from there, like did like six months ish of what's called EMDR therapy, which was like a trauma-based therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really changed my life. Um, Like just the the state that I was in, I was really like primed to, you know, kind of be led on a healing journey, like with my therapist. Um, so as, as I was working out, I kind of call it in the book, like my psychological pipes, like I was getting those fixed. It was like, um, the spiritual stuff that I started experiencing as I was fixing my psychological pipes, um, felt way more like, what I understood Jesus to be talking about in terms of like rebirth and salvation and all these things, like what I was experiencing now as an adult felt way more in line, you know, with this concept of like dying to self and being born anew and becoming a new creation. Like that was what I was experiencing. Hmm. Um, And so, yeah, like the, the evangelical theology very quickly got, you know, put into the, like, this doesn't make sense basket, but the new experiences that I was having, like the best language that I had for them 
were like these biblical metaphors. So at at the same time that I was kind of, that I was deconstructing, I would like I already had this experiential stuff to kind of you know redefine the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, <laughs> I could respond to so much in that, especially as it relates to my story as well. It is interesting that it feels like that your thirties are that time of awakening mm-hmm. to to. To past trauma, I I would mm-hmm. love to read something about what that's like and why in that decade of your life you are finally maybe ready or willing or open to looking back at some of the things that we ran away from or squashed or maybe put you know in a corner of our mind and you know for me it exploded in not so much panic attacks uh, but like rage I was awakened mm-hmm. to some severe trauma from my childhood and it manifested, it manifested itself in just outright anger. And I I couldn't understand. And thankfully going to to therapy um, and being diagnosed with PTSD, I I realized, Oh, so this is why you, you lose your, 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 your shit when something Mm -hmm. minor happens, you know, like I, I noticed a pattern for me is when I would be dominated by someone or bullied by someone and not even in an extravagant way, but just in a small way, I would made be made to feel like I was being, um, you know, acted upon and all that energy and emotion and shame of not being quote strong enough as a child to resist or push back on a, 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 a dominator, a predator, um, you know, that, that came out as an adult. And mm-hmm. it's just amazing that that happens to many of us during that decade. And my guess is a lot of our listeners are kind of sitting there. And so, uh, you know, my, my encouragement to you is if you are experiencing an, an, an awakening and an enlightenment to past trauma, you know, get help. Um, there's no, there's no shame in that. Um, and it can be, um, a, a, a liminal space where not only you begin to heal yourself, but you begin to move in a different direction that is that is transformative and healing. Um, so you you reference this a little bit um, in your book about the true self and the false self, and it sounds like you're kind of there at this moment as well. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe let's have a conversation about that because that's something that has come up in in my reading and and in my therapy as well. I know growing up evangelical, we were told, you know, t- about sin and sin management and you know, you're born in sin and you've got to find Jesus and then you're going to be whole and then you get to go to heaven, but I, I think in in if you kind of set that aside, I think there's a a more real uh, way mm-hmm. to discuss oneself. And I I would much rather talk about the true self and the false self versus your sinful self and your saved self. Does that resonate with you? And if and if so, what do those words mean mean to you uh, right now in your spiritual journey and in your journey of healing? Yeah, absolutely. First coming across this was experiential. Um, as I was kind of referencing in that story that I just told, about feeling like um, that something had woken up in me when I was, you know, having this conversation with this transgender woman. Um, it 
I, I like to talk in metaphors and stories. So um, I'll tell this little story I, just to p- kind of paint a picture. But I think that this happened in Texas. I grew up in Texas and I remember this news story from the 90s of um, this little kid who it was like playing in her backyard or whatever and um, ended up falling into some like deep hole um, mm. that was just in the ground. And, you know, so she's running around and all of a sudden like drops into this hole, which is like, I don't know, like dozens of feet down in the ground. Mm. And so I think it was a little girl. She goes missing and her parents can't find her. And so they're freaking out. And um, at some point, someone like hears this child, like, you know, calling out or whatever, but from deep, deep down in the ground. And so it's this very faint sound. Um and they end up figuring out, oh, my God, like she's fallen into this hole and it ends up being this giant operation of getting her out. Like it wasn't as simple as like drop a rope and pull her out like mm-hmm. she was stuck in there. And I this might have gone on for days where it's yeah. like, you know, no, I she, remember she's, that. There's like, yeah. And that picture felt like the perfect metaphor for what I experienced, where it was like. I'm kind of just going along in my life. Um, and then suddenly, like, I hear this faint cry and realize, like, oh, my God, like, there's this child buried down deep, deep, deep inside of me. Um, and once I kind of woke up to it and heard it, like, it, like all my attention was focused on that lost child. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think that that language, I see it all over like Instagram and stuff now, you know, like your inner child, got to heal your inner child or whatever. And so it's kind of, I, I don't, sometimes when I see it, I'm like, I don't, I still don't know if like, we're all talking about the same thing, um, <laughs> right. but, but it was just this feeling of waking up from amnesia or something um, where it felt like a first time experience Um of experiencing like what I call in the book, my true self. Another word that I like for it was like my essence Mm. um, of who I really was like at the deepest level, like my soul, which we talk about soul so much in church that I guess I thought I knew what it was. um, But then in this experience, I was like, Oh, I didn't like it's this thing, you know, that I, I have these words for that are kind of overused or not used at all. And so nobody knows what I'm talking about. Um, But anyway, then, you know, all my focus, um, just like in that news story, like as soon as I realized that it was there, it was like, oh my gosh, like I have to retrieve this and get it out and like bring it up into the surface, which was like a metaphor for like, I need this part of me to like actualize itself in my life, like kind of recovering this and bringing it into my world. I understood to be kind of like my life's task or um, like the two becoming one flesh. So that, you know, that phrase in scripture took on new meaning for me um, where before it was always this like moral prescriptive thing, you know, like it has to be a man and a woman, you know, having sex. And that's what to becoming one flesh means. And suddenly I was like, oh no, this is like my true self or my soul, like becoming one with my flesh, like my material physical world, like that they're not being like this contradiction. And so 
in experience and having that experience of my true self or my soul or my essence, I also realized what my false self was. And it was, um, you know, all these coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms, um, kind of what you were saying, you know, like kind of waking up to your trauma and, you know, what's, what's really real inside of you. I'd realized like, Oh, I haven't been awake to this for the past, however long I can remember. And so I sort of, you know, kind of immediately recognized that in all these circumstances in my life, I was kind of operating out of this pre-programmed robotic thing, I guess. Um, it wasn't out of my own like deepest life force or vitality um, or like spontaneity in the moment. It was, you know, how do I survive in my environment? Like what's, what's the best and why is this decision like for my survival, which there's nothing wrong with that. All of that is completely necessary. And that's what I try to emphasize in the book is that, um, you know, the metaphor I use is like a seed growing on the tree. So when a seed grows on a tree, the first thing that grows is like the embryo and that is the generative life force. So I kind of map the true self um, or essence or soul to that embryo, Um, but it's completely vulnerable. And so in order for it to like actually actualize itself and fall from the tree and go on its journey through nature and then eventually like plant itself in the ground and become a tree, Mm-hmm. There has to be like this protective shell that forms over it. And so when we think about a seed, like an acorn seed, most of us think about that outer shell. And what I realized is is that most of what we see in the, the thing that we picture in our mind as the seed is actually the part of it that's going to die so that what's inside, you know, can quote unquote be reborn and become yeah. a tree. And so I saw this pattern like in nature and in everything, and I was seeing it in me. And, you know, the the bit, the huge thing that I wanted to emphasize in my book is how necessary that stage was of, you know, being protected and, you know, doing all my coping mechanisms and wearing this mask or acting out of my false self or whatever, that that was like necessary to get me from, you know, the point of falling off the tree and, you know, to the point where I was in my life. But then to what you were saying, Gary Allen is like all that trauma, all that stuff that we've like buried deep within, like the coping mechanisms that got us to where we are suddenly like start to become very destructive. And it's like, if we don't kind of examine the false self and all the, all of its coping mechanisms, then it's like it starts to turn in on us, right? And if mm. we can't let it go, then it's like everything on the inside begins to crumble and die. So it's this process of like, you know, when when Jesus is talking about like, if you, you want to live your life, you have to lose it. I always kind of took that as like this self-sacrificial thing where I was constantly just, you know, sacrificing myself in like this martyrdom kind of way. And realizing like, oh, this is this is part of my false self coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I do this to win affection, you know, from people, um, to win like acceptance in my group and e- even in the church to feel like applauded or like that I was this great Christian. Like I, I realized that that was all part of my outer shell, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, you know, the process of kind of letting go of that and, and letting 
who I really was start to come forward, not in a way that was trying to be um, disruptive or chaotic or whatever, but just being okay with saying like, this is who I am, or this is what I think, or no, I don't want to do that. Um, and, and kind of training my nervous system to kind of tolerate, you know, the new reactions that I was getting from the environment. I love the way that you describe the the false self and the true self, and it, it's not it, it's not a binary in the fact that one's bad and one's good. It's uh, there's also this connection with our ego, and it's something I've learned that that much like when Jesus says, you know, unless a, a grain falls to the ground and dies, it can't be reborn. And you're right that our false self was our protective uh, coping container, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it got us, it got us, it, it protected us. It allowed us to be safe and to create a sense of autonomy and identity. And yet, it, so it's not bad. It's not something that completely needs to die because it failed us. It just isn't enough to get us to the next stage of life. And so right. when I think about the metaphor of death and resurrection, I don't necessarily think about it in relation to salvation. I think about it as this interior journey of an egoic self who had to create this hard outer shell of protection and sort of live uh, according to our reptilian mind, like, okay, good, bad, you know, right, left, you're for me, you're against me, and I'm the center of the world. And it does feel like that personal maturity and spiritual maturity uh, starts with a shedding of that outer false self so we can finally one day get back to the goodness of, of, of who we really are deep inside of us. Right. Um, has Is that metaphor kind of true for you as it relates to kind of this next stage of, of transformation? And then maybe what does your life look like now that you have begun to live into your true self and and begin to shed some of the the things that have have been maybe a more coping mechanism of the false self. Yeah, absolutely. Like that is the metaphor for me now. Um, and that is kind of the thread that I try to weave um, all throughout my book. So what I kind of do is, you know, explain that whole dynamic about the true and false self, because in my experience, it was completely lacking um, in evangelicalism. But even in most Christian churches that I've you know been to since, I don't hear a lot about this. No. Um, and, and I don't think that personally, I don't think that it's intentional. You know, this was something that I experienced almost like a lightning strike, you know, it wasn't like something that I went and sought out. It was just this new reality that kind of came on the scene. And I kind of recognized like, oh, this, this has to happen to someone before they're going to have any clue, like (laughs) as to what, what this is, you know? So I didn't see it as like a willful uh, omission from the church. It was just really just ignorance, basically. Totally. I I, I 100% agree. Yeah. And so, but so I started to see like this pattern and like all the stories, you know, like Jonah and the whale and, and all this stuff, like th- that's a great one. Um, you know, when I was having, you know, my experience this very hellish experience. Um, and I call it that in the book, that feeling of like the God concept evaporating and, you know, that 
that really terrifying moment, it was like, oh, this is hell. Like, I know that this is what this is. And Mm -hmm. as I was going back and like kind of looking in some of these Bible stories, you know, I saw in Jonah and the whale, him saying, out of the belly of hell, I cried. And it was like, oh yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. And also, no one ever talked about Jonah being in hell, you know, like it was always this literal thing and this miracle that God did and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, the pattern that was set up for me about, you know, hell being this place of eternal damnation and all of this, suddenly I was like, no, this is, this is a state of consciousness that I was in. And then I was delivered from it. Like I came out of this belly, you know, and then I see Mm -hmm. it in Jonah, like, here it was. He's saying, I'm in hell in this belly. And then I get spit back out into the ordinary world, you know? And then I saw in Psalm where it was like, the psalmist is going, you know, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's exactly what I experienced. Like when I was in this psychological place is when Christ came to meet me there in hell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, then even up to the point of Jesus, he's like, the only thing you're going to see is the sign of Jonah. Why is he talking about this guy in a whale? He's naming this pattern of like being three days in the heart of the earth in hell, you know, in Catholicism. I think it's in the Apostles' Creed. It says Christ descended yeah. into hell right. and then he's delivered from it. And so this was the pattern that I started to see everywhere where in all these Bible stories, it seemed like there was a character and then some descent into terror where. Hmm you know, the, the evolution of their consciousness, like, you know, progressed and moved forward and they, they're kind of swallowed in this belly and then delivered back, you know, with this new realization that like heaven and and earth are, you know, kind of two sides of the same coin. It's all, Mm -hmm. you know, here and now, and they're starting to live out what we call like, you know, the kingdom of God in Luke, where Jesus is like, the kingdom of God is within you. It's, is this realization of this, you know, inner Christ or inner true self making itself manifest in your everyday life. Um, And so, yeah, to answer your question about how that changed my life, like everything we talked about in church about actually being changed, I was like, I've been a Christian for 25 years and I'm actually like, my life has changed now Mm -hmm. because, um, I think once once you awaken to that, like you don't ever go back to sleep. Like I I still obviously like have had years now of sort of consciously trying to quote unquote like catch my ego or figure out like when I'm trapped. It's so it's so easy to like get caught up in it again and try to discern like what's me and you know what's what's coping mechanism or whatever. Um, and so it's not like this one and done thing. Like I've had, I've had many, many instances of, you know, feeling like I was sort of living this authentic life of love and then going like, oh shit, you know, like I'm like right, caught right. in the trap again. Yep. Um, but that initial experience of just being like overwhelmed with this presence um, that is welling up from deep within you. Um, I, I have never lost like the very, I've never lost like the potency of that memory. And like, it's, 
it's like, okay, the, the mercies are new. Like I, I can experience that like over and over and over again. Um, Mm. so, but for me, I, I did realize that it wasn't like, oh, you know, the outer shell died and that's it. And now like, I'm saved and and I'm like this, you know, fully delivered person. Um, It was going like, oh, okay, what's driving these unhealthy behaviors? It's these really deeply ingrained, you know, neural pathways in my brain and in my nervous system. And so, you know, it was kind of just this deep work with like meditation and, and yoga and really trying to like become familiar with the sensations in my body and figuring out how to like ground myself and cultivate like this internal peacefulness without having to do anything like, mm-hmm. you know, for people. And I mean, this is like so new to the Western world still, but just the idea of like sitting by yourself alone in your thoughts for even five minutes is like, ugh, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, ter- it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's terrifying. And I don't want to do that. And like, you know, um, I need to go do something productive. And so it started out with like, no, I need to be able to sit here with myself. Um, and if I can't do that, then I don't have any business doing anything else like Mm. in the outer world. So it, it started there, like with this deep, deep practice of stillness, um, until, you know, finally, like that actually became something that was like enjoyable and, you know, a place that I could sort of access even when I wasn't sitting there, you know, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I can kind of carry this grounded awareness with me like throughout my day. And really like once I sort of started being able to do that, the relationships with like my husband and my kids primarily, you know, I, my primary concern was like, I don't want to be traumatizing my kids out of my own traumatized place. And I saw, you know, how, how easily that that just like passed through, you know, it's like an epigenetic thing. Like we just keep passing this shit forward. And (laughs) you know, it's like, how do I at least put a stake in the ground, heal myself so I can stop this generational trauma and, and stop handing it on to my kids. Yeah. Yes. And, and Gary Allen, I I think the other thing that I recognized was, you know, like that no parenting technique was going to do that for me, you know, like Mm -hmm. going like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't believe in spanking anymore. We're not going to do that. Okay. Well, that's great. But if I'm still, yeah. (laughs) But if I'm still like a dysregulated walking nervous system, like my kids are just absorbing that, you know, they're absorbing this message that, you know, the world is unsafe because like, you know, my mom feels, you know, like dysregulated and fearful all the time, you know? So how could they Mm -hmm. possibly like look out at the world that they're in with a sense of like safety and security and wonder if the person closest to them is like, fearful and paranoid, you know what I mean? And on edge all the time. So it was like this, this has to be like, um, this peace and stillness has to be who I am at a very, very deep level. Um, and then like when I can get in that place, it's almost like, I don't even really need the techniques. I mean, you do, Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. like, as, as human beings, like we are co-regulating each other's nervous systems, you know? Like you can see this even now, like what's, what's broken out in the Middle East and everything. It's, it's suddenly like this massive dysregulation is 
it's like contagious, just like, you know, and all of a sudden, like the whole world is disruptive. So there's kind of like this unconscious collective dysregulation that happens. But I realize that like it works the other way too, you know, where when I'm around a very grounded person who's like at peace um, and grounded in themselves, like my nervous system just relaxes. So I notice, like, oh, when I'm cultivating this, like my children just pick up on it um, intuitively, like my husband picks up on it intuitively. And so it also has this same sort of ripple effect. Um, So anyways, of course, there was like, you know, a lot of I I got very interested in like, you know, um, attachment theory and, you know, different things that kids you know needed in order to feel regulated and to grow healthy brains and yada 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 S- super great um but i was like this is 100% an inside job and none of this literature is going to matter at all if i'm a nervous wreck <laughs> mm, right yeah yeah have you found that meditation has helped you in kind of deconstructing dualism i know for me i i woke up to the reality that i lived in a world of um, right or wrong, black or white, for me and against me. And it was, as maybe I said earlier, very much living according to my reptilian brain that yeah. I saw the world in binaries. And I also saw the world in sort of this zero-sum game. Um, yeah. And when I began to meditate and truly awaken to the reality of what's going on, I realized that, one, I don't have to attach myself to my thoughts. I can watch them arise. I can watch them fall. I don't need to cling to them. I also don't need to reject them. And it allowed me to then basically take what I was doing in meditation and live it out in in my daily life. I was like, oh, that happened. Well, mm-hmm. one, I don't need to judge it. I don't need to crucify it. I also mm-hmm. don't need to claim it. I can just yeah. sit and watch these things happen without getting personally invested in them. And to me, that has been a part of that as we go back to that shedding that outer shell of protection. You know, the the, the universe isn't against me. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm here. Um, I'm living in it. I'm connected to everyone and everything else. And for me, it also kind of went back to what you were talking about earlier, this perennial path of Jesus, of of death and resurrection. And and I think that's what he meant by saying, I am the way. I, I don't think yeah. Jesus had, was saying anything about, oh, you have to believe in me and I'm the only way to heaven. I, I That's nonsense. That That's just stupid on you know so, so many different levels. I think what Jesus was inviting us into is this this path of of death uh, to the false self arising to you know your 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 true self and i know in your book it's titled returning to eden is is that kind of what you're inviting people into this returning to your true self and uh, what what might that look like for those of us who are living in the modern world, um, it longing to return to Eden, longing to return to our true self. We may have already answered this, but I, I'm just so captivated by uh, the title of the book and the invitation to return to 
um, an untainted place in a world mm-hmm. of such violence and such disruption and, and such dualism. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. This was a quote from Joseph Campbell, who I who I reference a lot um, in the book. He's been a great teacher to me. Um, but I think that he has this saying about essentially like salvation is like discovering the face that you had before you were born. Mm-hmm. And that 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 quote kind of captivates what it is that I'm talking about. Um, this sense of, you know, like you were saying, like meditation, like going into stillness. Um, this rebirthing process for me was like this stripping away of all the identities that I had attached to myself that gave me sort of this mental conception of who I was. So, Mm. you know, I'm a woman and I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian was probably the biggest one and and all the implications that come with that. And I'm a mother and I'm a wife and I'm a video producer. I'm all these things. So I have this mental picture of who I am. And it was sort of, you know, kind of one by one, like taking off all those identities and redefining them as roles. You know, these are Mm. roles that I play that I'm bringing my essence into. Okay. So what is my essence? Who is it? Who am I? You know? And so, Mm. um, detaching myself from that sort of plunges you into this really terrifying place of nothingness, you know, like, (laughs) What, what's left when everything is, is not me, quote unquote me, you know? Um, and once I sort of got past the terror of it or just kind of let myself sit in that void, I, I started to feel that the emptiness or the n- nothingness was like sort of this all-consuming love, like the, the substratum layer right beneath like all the forms in my material world was this like layer of palpable love. Hmm. Um, and so I started to recognize like that, who, who I was, was the same thing that was animating everything. Um, it's more was just about like your perception of it. Like if you were aware of it or not. So Hmm. in terms of like what you were saying about dualism, um, I, you know, the word that we have for this in the Christian language for me was Christ. It was like the spirit that was animating all this physical form. And then you Mm -hmm. say like, well, how can someone who's, you know, acting out something very evil, you know, how could that be Christ? And so like the nuance here that I kind of talk in my book is, you know, um, that if you're asleep to this, it's like Christ still dead in the tomb, you know? Um, there's not this like risen awareness or, or consciousness that's come online that like, this is who you are. And so the pain of being asleep to that and feeling like separate and essentially like isolated and all alone in a terrifying universe, like Mm. is such a painful and intolerable feeling that like humans will do almost anything, you know, to avoid feeling completely like consumed by that. Um, and so, you know, kind of failing to like consciously take this journey, like you end up in, it's like in this state of complete fear. Um, and so, yeah, like returning to Eden for me was like returning to this, um, like pre-birth state of consciousness where I was starting to become familiar with, with who I was before 
I was given all these labels. Um, and I'll just give you a, a kind of a real world example of like how this played out. So about nine years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, I can't remember. Um, I was still in my 20s and my husband um, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hmm. And so he was like 31, I think. And, you know, there was like this interim period where we knew that he had cancer, but we weren't going to know like the stage or, you know, they had to do all this testing. So you basically get told you have cancer and, you know, come back in a month or whatever. And like, we'll tell you more. Right. So um, during this time, I like (laughs) was so terrified, like, the emotional resiliency score was like an F minus. It was just <laughs> embarrassingly uh, bad, you know, like how much I was like, oh, all this security I'm supposed to have about like life after death, you know, because I'm a Christian and we're going to heaven and blah, 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 uh, made no difference. You know, <laughs> it was like, I'm terrified, um, not handling this well. You know, I barely remember what my daughter was doing at the time. She was like a year and a half. It was just a mess. And Mm. luckily he ended up being totally fine. He didn't need treatment at that time. Well, fast forward um, this past year, um, it relapsed and we found out that he had, it was stage three. And so Mm. it kind of was suddenly like perfectly healthy again. And now, you know, you're going to need to start chemo in a few weeks. Mm. And this was, this was after this book was written. This was after all the experiences that I had been talking about. I already had this meditation. I already had this yoga practice going. Um, I already kind of like was seeing the new world and, you know, believing, seeing the world in a new way and, you know, believing differently in all this. Um, and, but it was, so it was like this confrontation with the same feeling again, you know, like, okay, what is my husband going to die? You know, I have three kids now. The, the terror of that feeling. And I could feel myself getting like sucked into that void of terror again. Like, oh, okay, I've been here before. I know that if I go, like if I spiral down in to this direction, like it's just going to go in a terrible, <laughs> in a terrible place. And so I remember like having this um, kind of what you were saying, Gary Allen, about like having this tool now of not associative not attaching myself to my thoughts you know right. like I, i'm having all the thoughts like what if he dies what am i gonna do you know all those mm-hmm. terrifying things but now also having this inner awareness of myself that just felt like pure stillness just watching all of those thoughts mm-hmm. and so you know i noticed like when i would kind of let myself become at one with them it's like well, off to hell I went, you know, mm, and right. when I was able, and when I was able to pull myself back and, and observe, it was like, oh, I see the fear. I see, you know, I see you nervous system, reptilian brain, like what, <laughs> what, what you're trying to do to protect me. And thank you for that. Right. And right. really, yeah. And, and kind of, instead of trying to like pull away and escape from my body and all of these things, it was like, just looking at it so squarely, like in the present moment and being able to say like, I'm fine right now. I'm really, you know, I'm taking a shower. (laughs) I'm I'm washing the conditioner out of my hair because my mind isn't like (laughs) off in space, you know? And once I kind of just was able to like look at it and confront it, it just started to dissolve 
um, where after that, like I, I sort of felt like I was like walking forward in peace where it was just like, okay, what do we need to do next? You know, mm-hmm. all right, we, we need to set up your appointment. Let's set up your appointment. And it became very much a practice of like in the moment, what do we need to do? Um, and I'm totally fine right now. And then I remember going to his first chemotherapy appointment and um, it was at Emory University, which was uh, or their hospital there. Um, wonderful hospital. Felt so thankful that like we were that close and the campus is beautiful. And I remember being there going like, okay, my husband's about to like get hit with all of this stuff. Like I should feel terrible about this. Like I should feel really sad. And Mm -hmm. I just remember feeling like I don't like, I feel grateful to be here. Like number one, like my kids are at school and my husband and I are getting like this entire day to just be together, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm at this beautiful campus. It really is just like wonderful to walk around. I'm with these really caring nurses and I get to talk to like the best doctors in the world. Like if you really like can appreciate talking to someone who's at the very top of their field and just getting (laughs) all of their one-on-one attention, I'm like, it's kind of a a pretty magical experience. You know, I'm like, Mm. these people are geniuses. But I just remember feeling like, I feel like I should be feeling bad and everyone's expecting me to feel horrible about this, but I don't, you know? Um, Mm. And kind of just allowing myself to, to be in the present moment. And I don't know, and experience that peace. And it just really like, you know, he made it through the chemo and he's totally fine now. And like, you know, we're rocking and rolling again and just kind of looking back on it and going like, you know, fear will tell you that the worst, the worst thing is going to happen, that the ground beneath you is about to, you know, be ripped out or crumble underneath your feet. And in reality, it's like, you know, this could go a thousand different ways, Mm. probably a way in which you would like least expect it. So like the, the present moment, like promises, like peace and stillness, if you can like, you know, if you can find that grounded place in yourself. Mm. Mm. Well, Heather, I, I feel like I just went to therapy in, in a really good way. Um, <laughs> I, we have, well, I have so many other questions for you. So I think what we're going to have to do is have you back on the show because I, 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 I really mean this. This was um, incredible. Uh, thank you so much for sharing about your journey, about your inner journey that has led to an outer awakening and living into the moment and and trying to really synthesize what I would think is really more Eastern mindset with our Western Mm -hmm. uh, mindset of Christianity. And so for those of us who want to hear more from you, who want to read your book, Returning to Eden, where can we connect with you both online and where's the best way to grab your book that can make the most impact outside of Jeff Bezos' pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Gary Allen. It's been wonderful being here. Um, if it, yeah, if your audience wants to connect, um, returningtoeden.com is my website. Um, you can find you know my social media channels there, but on Instagram it's Heather Hamilton One, and on Facebook um, Heather Hamilton Author. Um, at returningtoeden.com, I have a newsletter called Unorthodox. It's just a monthly newsletter um, 
where I send out, you know, my thoughts, what I'm thinking about. Um, I'll probably put this podcast in it. So if, (laughs) you know, there's something interesting to listen to, I send it out there. Um, So you can sign up for that. And then as far as getting my book, obviously, yeah, there's the Bezos machine. Um, (laughs) You can contact me through my website and, you know, if you want a signed copy or whatever, but it's available like anywhere you buy books. So, you know, you can ask your local bookstore, um, Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton, um, or order it through, you know, one of the major retailers. Um, Yeah, it's distributed everywhere internationally. So you should be able to get it if you ask your local bookstore. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, again, Heather, thank you so much for for being a part of the show um, and for your voice, for your journey. I look forward to chatting with you in the future. And we'll get to some of those questions that um, we were talking about because there's so much more to unpack here as it relates to your journey, finding a third way, um, navigating scripture from a mythical lens as opposed Mm -hmm. to a literal lens. So I'm dead serious. I'd love to have you back on the show, but thank you so much for your time this morning. I'd love it. Thanks, Gary Allen. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society and written by Gary Allen Taylor. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. If you need more resources to guide your spiritual journey, head to sophiasociety.org for articles, resources, and our free ebook on faith deconstruction. And before we go, will you consider joining us on Patreon? Your partnership allows us to continue creating this sacred space for seekers like you. By becoming a patron, you gain early access to each podcast episode, as well as premium content, and an exclusive invitation to join our monthly online community. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash holyheretics. See you next time.